Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 325. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. Today you will hear from two guests. First, Sue Nevler, an incredibly active gardening friend from the Pacific Northwest and national public horticulture scene, who will share about the Solstice Garden Gatherings on December 21st. And my second guest, Stowe, Massachusetts-based Barbara Richaw of Stowe Greenhouses, which has rebranded as Field and Vase in Boston, yet another flower farm branching into retail floristry. And I'm excited to share these interviews with you. We're getting close to the end of 2017, and for many of you, that means reflecting on the meaning of our work, on the relevance and purpose that we seek, and on the relationships that define us. This all came together for me Sunday evening at the latest Slow Flowers Meetup. Over the course of 2017, I've gathered with Slow Flowers community members in towns and cities across North America, listening, learning, sharing, connecting. In places as diverse and wonderful as Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Toronto, Ontario, Missoula, Montana, Guilford, Connecticut, Providence, Rhode Island, and yes, Seattle. It was such a joy to have our hometown, for me, meet up, and I'm so happy that 14 of our Seattle area community members had time to join the festivities. Flower farmers whose blooms thrive in tiny urban lots or expansive rural acreage, food farmers who are diversifying into cut flowers, floral designers who specialize in weddings, everyday deliveries, and workshops, landscape designers exploring the floral industry, and also wholesalers who represent the farmers and sell their bountiful, beautiful harvest to local florists. It was wonderful to watch the new relationships and connections taking place over delicious food, clicking of glasses, and laughter throughout. And there was a moment when it all went into a slow-motion freeze frame for me. I stood there in my kitchen and marveled at the goodwill being shared among new and old friends, people who have supported the Slow Flowers movement in their own work, aligning their brands with this. It was truly special and overwhelming to see where this little Slow Flowers idea has taken all of us. Last week, I recorded a short interview that I want to share today. It will, I hope, inspire you to take a step or make a gesture in your own community as we approach the winter solstice, the holiday season, and the new year around the corner. My guest is Sue Nevler, who calls herself a gardening advocate. 
In 2016, Sue created an event called Solstice Garden Gatherings, and I shared the idea on an episode of this podcast last December. Solstice Garden Gatherings has gained momentum and support across the world, and I'm so glad to see the idea of people gathering together in public and private gardens or in a flower field or on a farm lead to support of peace, acceptance, and understanding, and most of all, hope. Sue agreed to sit down with me to talk about Solstice Garden Gatherings, and I will share more links and resources in the show notes for today's podcast, episode 326. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. I am so delighted to introduce my guest, Sue Naveler. Hi, Sue. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> We're laughing because we've had a few technical difficulties, but here we are. We've gathered uh, ourselves at the Center for Urban Horticulture, which is kind of symbolic because we both love gardening, and here in Seattle, uh, that's how we met. Um, what Sue, describe what you do and what your activity is or your involvement is in the horticulture community in Seattle. I, I kind of have been kicked around between a bunch of different gardens here, <laughs> or kicked myself, but um, I first started out with the Dunn Garden as a docent, which I love doing, you know, touring people through the gardens, and worked my way um, actually to be on the board there, and then the director, the first um, director of the Dunn Garden, which I loved. Uh, and but- the Dunn Garden is an Olmsted garden in Seattle that yes. was originally a residence, right? It was. And so beautiful grounds, what you would expect in an homestead garden, you know, winding paths, beautiful trees, open lawn looking out, and just a, a fabulous garden. It's a magnificent place, yeah. Wonderful place. And uh, and I was very fortunate, too, because it was when Charles Price and Glenn Withy were there at the garden as curators, and I learned a lot from them as far as beautiful containers, oh, beautiful color, absolutely. color. So that was a really fun experience. And, and that really plugged you into the whole public garden scene yes. here in Seattle, yes. right? Yes. So I moved from there. I've been involved as a trustee at the Bloedel Reserve and am now a trustee at the Miller Garden, Elizabeth Gary Miller Garden uh, in the Highlands there, and also the Charitable Foundation. But I'm on a lot of advisory committees too, which I really love. You know, the Northwest Horticultural Society, the University of Washington Botanical Garden, Heronswood, and probably a couple of others that I've forgotten. But I was teasing you. Yeah, I was teasing you about your inability to say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my husband says that too. <laughs> but I think it's because you have this insatiable curiosity about um, this beautiful place we live in and how people can yes. benefit yes. from nature yes. and the gardens, yes. right? Yes. I, I've learned that through uh, my lifetime, starting out as a, a truck farmer uh, in Cape Cod, you know, with a small 10-acre farm, and then moving from that to a National Historical Landmark that was 40 acres there in Cape Cod. And uh, so, and I actually went into academia and uh, got a master's um, in small-scale, actually, agricultural geography. Wow. Small-scale agriculture in the periphery of tourist resorts um, on the Big Island. And, wow. Uh, I did that. And, uh, and agriculture and horticulture seem to be more closely aligned than ever before. And, you know, your roots in that 
uh, are influencing some of the things you're involved in now. Yes, yes. And I, I look for meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as far as when I first started out on the small farm and then, you know, going into academia and I started actually when I was working doing doctoral level work, I was looking in Thailand on Phuket, you know, and looking at what they were growing as a development tool. You know? Wow. So so interesting. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really interesting path. And so then I came back to Seattle and started the done and um, and looked more at, at horticulture, mm-hmm. you know, but, but the trends have been changing, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's kind of funny now I look and go, gee, what I was doing back in the 70s and 80s is what's very hot now, you know. Exactly. And, uh, We've so, come full circle. Yeah, we really have. You were just showing me um, newspaper clippings from the early 80s when you were a young <laughs> farm manager in Cape Cod. Yes. <laughs> Rotor tilling. We had the front page. <laughs> but but uh, that was sort of considered fringe back then, and, and I think it would the the young people on the farm motif is not truly fringe right now. It's a little bit more um, mainstream. Yes, yeah, which it should be. You know, I mean, you kind of cycle back, and there were the victory gardens. You know, right. And so it, it, I see life in terms of cycles too, and so I, I'm glad to see that it's more. Relevant. Yes, and you're an inclusive person. You bring people into what you're excited about, and the gardens you've been involved in. I, I've watched the shift, and I'm not saying you're alone or responsible for this, but you've been part of this movement to um, open the gates and make garden public gardens less elitist yes. and more universal and, and accessible, right? Yes, I really believe in that. You yeah. know, um, and people won't care for things unless they're involved, you know, and you have to be included. You have to be open and inclusive to get people involved mm-hmm. and to get people caring mm-hmm. about it. So I think it's really important. Yeah, and, and this project that you're involved in that I want to talk about um, that's happening in December is, um, in a way, it's it's it, the least amount of programming that you could do, right? Yes, you're just kind yes. of creating a, a place for people to gather, right? Yeah. And it's really an idea, and it's an idea, I, I look at it and I think it's global. I mean, it could be global. And, and let's just say what it's called. Solstice Garden Gatherings. Okay. And so my idea was I wanted to, you know, I... I, I I guess I first got the idea or started thinking about this, too, in Seattle when I moved to Seattle and saw the um, Luminaria, Mm -hmm. you know, around Green Lake. And people Mm -hmm. would come and gather in the winter. And that resonated with me, you know, growing up in Cape Cod with a a sea captain for a father. We'd go out at night in the winter and we'd look at the constellations and stuff. And I I loved that. Yeah, Yeah, wow. You know, and so when I saw what was happening at Green Lake and then when I was involved with all these gardens, I wanted to see it happen in a garden. And so we started it at the Dunn Garden and had a big bonfire pit. And so people would come out and some years people would sing carols and some sometimes people would just sit around and look at the fire. But at, in December. In December. Okay. And, and this was around the solstice too. I think it's an important marker, mm-hmm. you know, during the year and stuff. And so then I started thinking, well, how can we take this to other gardens? And I would see it happening in other gardens. The Bellevue Botanical Garden all lit up, you know, the Garden Delights. It's fabulous. And then we brought it to Bloedel. And it can, the idea can take any shape. You know, at Bloedel, people walk through with lanterns Mm. through the landscape. And it's lovely. You see a long line of lights going through the woods. And the idea for me, too, as far as being global, is you can do it anywhere. You can do it in your backyard and invite your friends to come, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And... And you can go to any public garden and say, well, what are they doing around the solstice? What can we join in? And the idea for me, too, was peace and community. People want, are looking for that now. 
and they're looking to gather and to talk and to share. And the gardens, you know, not so many people go to the gardens in the winter. Right. And this is a perfect excuse right. to say it's the solstice. Let's go, let's gather, let's find some something. Well, there's just so many wonderful reasons why this that it appeals to me. I think um, gardeners are and farmers are particularly aware of the changing of the seasons. So you've got the winter solstice, you've got the spring equinox, and that kind of calendarization of what we how we relate to the land, right? Yeah, and I love that idea too because it's marking it by the seasonal changes instead of what's happening in the stores, sort of mm-hmm. these false creations that get right. us thinking about commercialism. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also thought you were going to say, it, rather than it be, being any particular faith tradition as well, yes, right? And yes. And that makes it more inclusive. That's exactly my thought. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, anybody can come out anywhere, um, you know, and join together and celebrate just being alive, being outside in a beautiful place. So when you were at the Dunn Garden um, as executive director, um, how, how did this actually happen? Was it just one of those, um, you know brainstorms of yours yeah it was <laughs> you know, we weren't really doing anything and you know anybody who's a garden director can relate to the fact that I was thinking okay it's the end of the year this is a nice tradition and people will come and enjoy it and think about the garden at the end of the year right you know? and right so, and maybe write a check <laughs> that's or right make a pledge <laughs> that's right you know and it sounds sort of crass but you know gardens need that that's if we don't have people supporting gardens you know they absolutely disappear. absolutely so, Absolutely, um, and so it was that, but it was personal too. Yeah, you know, yeah, was. and then and then so you'd had this kind of ongoing programming, but then last year after the election, you said you had a completely intentional decision to formalize what you'd already yes. been doing. Yes, and share it with others. Yes, and make it grow. You know, I mean, because it's bigger than any one garden. I mean, it's more people getting together and appreciating nature and nurturing and mm-hmm. tending and Mm -hmm. caring for Mm -hmm. and I think that we needed more of that you know we do need more of that in this political climate and these times so how you put it out there last year I know we mentioned it on the podcast Um, you've got um, do you have a Facebook Event yes, page yes. Or, okay. a Facebook event page, and so it's Solstice Garden Gatherings. And if you go and do one of these in your own garden, if you would tag your photos, Solstice Garden Gatherings, and oh. then put them up on the Facebook page yeah, and show your iteration of this kind of a celebration. I love it. And, I mean, I... To show how far-reaching I am, I, I wanted to do it last year at the White House, you right? Know? And I was making in rugs. I remember I that know, because You're... I thought, who better than Michelle Obama? You know, I could see her to doing make it that. happen. Yeah. yeah, and you know, we I had friends on Cape Cod who did it there, and friends who were in Hawaii, and you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can do something like this. And... Yeah, at first when I heard about the the idea last year, I, I immediately pictured this <clears throat> this image of, you know, a, a, an illuminated labyrinth where people were just meditating on these walks. But in some ways, that's a wrong picture because that's an individual kind of contemplation. And you're, you're trying to have it be community-based, right? I think community-based, but it can be however you want. Okay. You know, I mean, to each each individual garden, some gardens are big and lit up. You know, some are dark. Some are centered around a bonfire. Some are around a candle, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, or a votive or a, a whatever. Yeah. You know, so you could tailor it however you want. And 
um, I think it is communal in mm. that you're getting your friends together right. or people that you don't know or right. you're including somebody you know new and inviting somebody so. it's such a hopeful gesture and to give sort of almost a wish of peace for for our world and those of us who care about you know stewarding the earth um yes. especially are there um is there a program that you recommend or have you heard about people doing readings or singing. I mean, I don't want it to turn into a Christmas carol thing. Yeah. I don't think that's yeah. it, right? No, I think, um, like I sort of have described about each of those gardens, mm-hmm. you can have a different take on mm-hmm. it. You know, some are walks, some are strolls, some are gatherings. The bonfire. Yeah, the bonfire. So it's kind of site-specific in a way. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things to keep it from being limited is mm-hmm. saying, do what you want, you know, do what feels relevant, what feels right in your particular garden or see what your favorite public garden's doing. And if that appeals to you, go and support that event and take a picture, you know? I could see flower farmers doing this too, because although I have to say all the flower farmers I know are 100% 100% burnt out on making wreaths and garlands right now. <laughs> I know. And that's what I liked about it is like, you don't have to make anything. You, you can bring cider, hard cider, whiskey, <laughs> you know, right. whatever you want to get. And because, chocolate. And because the solstice is typically December 21st, yes. maybe all that all that makery is behind us and maybe yes. even uh, my my listeners who are in the floral industry would probably be in the same boat like okay all the clients have been attended to yeah. all this product has been sold let's just have a moment to sit and and yeah. admire natural you know the, the creation of the earth and be quiet and peaceful yes. and yeah. I like that and that was one of one uh, memory I remember in one of the gardens uh, being out there and it snowed oh. you know and everybody had their boots and we were all wrapped up and it didn't matter you know we were cold but we were having a blast and it was just yeah. nice to be out and smell the air feel the cold and, I love it when and without having to do 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 you know so many people are you're busy you know so it's nice to just be I think this is going to grow into something larger don't you I I hope so. I mean, I, I have uh, dreams of grandiosity. I mean, we have a friend who we were trying to get it done in Reykjavik, in um, John Lennon's Peace Garden. Oh, my goodness. You know? wow. And so, I mean, I can just imagine that, people going out and saying, yeah, it's a solstice garden gathering, you know, and we're getting together and yeah. we're feeling communal and uh, respect for each other and a calmness and a tranquility, uh, a serenity that's needed I think it's needed well I think so too and when I first heard about it I was in such admiration of you just even voicing the idea and sometimes these ideas go grow to be so much bigger than the person who thought yeah. of it and you, yeah. and you seem like that you're like hey just I want to pass on the idea it's not it's mine just, just a little spark and if any <laughs> I mean I would love it if everybody you know just says yeah that resonates with me mm-hmm. I could do that and I feel good doing that mm-hmm. and I like to share you know mm-hmm. with other people and all you would like is for them to let you know about it so um, just to grow to just grow. to hashtag you know? or yeah, to I, hashtag um, yes. a photo that just says uh, Solstice Garden Gathering, you'll be able to... Where do you want people to do that? It'll, Instagram on, or on, on Facebook? Or? Instagram, anywhere. Any okay. of their social media outlets mm-hmm. and stuff. And you can tweet it and you can do it on Facebook. And, and then you're going to try to start kind of just... 
tracking where this is I going. I hope so, yeah, yeah, because that's the I'm a geographer and by training, and so you know I find it Could interesting to see if it, yeah, you know if it can grow worldwide. And somebody does it in Africa, and somebody does it in South America, and it grows in their groups and in the gardens around the world. I I love that, Sue. Thank you so much. Um, Is there any other advice you want to share with the listeners of the Slow Flowers podcast to get them inspired to do this? It's hard to say advice. I'd say just go out and do it. Look on the Facebook page if you need some guidance. Okay, and I'll put a link to that in our show notes. That's the advice I'm taking from you and listening to you is just um, don't overthink it. It can just be very micro just to start it with a a small gathering of people and then, um, you know, just sharing the the visuals and the the, the experiences will hopefully stimulate someone else to do it next year. Yeah, that's my hope. Um, there is um, an event in Seattle this uh, on the 10th of December at the Dunn Garden, and then in Bloedel on the 17th? 17th, 18th, and okay. Kruegerberg uh, Botanical Garden is doing one there, and um, and the Garden Delights is big, but, and also the Center for Urban Horticulture. There's going to be a small oh, one here. Well, maybe you so. can help me make a little list, and I'll share that in our show notes, uh, at least for Seattle people. And then if anyone hears this and wants to get in touch with Sue or me, um, let us know if you've got something planned in your community and we'll share it on our social media too. Um, you know, there's some th- days where I don't want to look at the TV. I don't want to look at my phone and read the news. I just want to stay under the covers of my flannel sheets. <laughs> um, and that's not how things are going to change in this world. And so when I think about this gesture that, that you're encouraging people to do of humanity, um, I just realized that's we need more of that and we need you know to give people opportunities to engage with uh with those they may not know and they may have um a good chance to hear and learn and and share so if it can be happening in a garden or in a, on a with farm place. absolutely right. thanks so much thank you it's been a pleasure Check out the links I've shared to Sue's Facebook event page and to find more details about Solstice Garden Gatherings. Beginning December 10th, this Sunday, there are several gatherings taking place in the Seattle area, and Sue has shared a list of those and their details, which I'll have at our show notes. As she mentions, please use the hashtag Solstice Garden Gatherings if you attend or create a similar event in your community. Sue's eager to see this idea spread and will be encouraged by your posts. Our main guest today is Barbara Richaw of Field and Vase, a new venture of Stowe Greenhouses based in Stowe, Massachusetts, which is in the Boston area. Stowe Greenhouses is owned and operated by the husband and wife team of Dave Butchold and Barbara Richaw. In addition to growing and arranging flowers, they are raising three sons. Barbara runs the day-to-day operations of the business and oversees everything from first seeding to final arrangement. Born in Pennsylvania, Barbara has had a circuitous route to flower farming. After graduating from college with a chemistry degree, she moved to Central Africa to teach farmers how to raise fish. When she returned home, Barb learned how to program computers and then moved to the business side of things and got her MBA. After the birth of her second son, she took some time off to raise three sons until she and Dave bought the farm in 2010. 
Barbara uses flowers and herbs grown on her farm, as well as things foraged from the property. Her style is organic and natural, and she likes to bring the garden to the vase, whether it is for a bride, a home, or an office arrangement. Barbara is motivated to educate her consumers and customers about the local flower movement, as well as supporting local farms and businesses. She enjoys being outdoors and skiing, and her retirement plan is traveling across the country in an Airstream. By day, Dave is an IT professional at a large bank, but by night he is a plumber, electrician, and carpenter, a whatever-it-takes-to-keep-the-farm-running kind of guy. He's also the patient voice of reason to Barb's unbridled enthusiasm. Dave was born with skis on his feet, enjoys all forms of cycling, and coaches the high school Ultimate Frisbee team. This interview took place in early November because I was in the Boston Providence area for about 48 hours to attend and speak at the New England Farmer Flores Connection, a virtual Facebook group begun by Slow Flowers member Debbie Bosworth of Dandelion House Flower Farm, which has basically become more than virtual because this group gathers um, in person once or twice a year. And by the way, I'll share a link to more details about that gathering. It took place at Flowers by Samia's lovely Providence, Rhode Island studio. And I'll have that link in today's show notes. I met up with Barb at the Shops at Prudential Center, a major downtown retail hub, where I toured the two new field and vase retail spaces. First, a full-service shop and design studio located on the lower level, And second, a freestanding kiosk on the main level in the heart of the retail hustle and bustle. Barbara and Dave incubated their first retail venture two years ago at the Boston Public Market, a year-round indoor farmer's market with 40 vendors and a New England-grown mandate. Success in that venue attracted the attention of developers at the Tony Prudential Tower. And this past September, Field & Vase opened two locations there, a permanent kiosk in the heart of the mall's central court and a full-service shop studio that is large enough to accommodate custom design work, event production, client consultations, and ongoing workshops. I believe what Field & Vase is doing is closely aligned with what we've been recently documenting in this podcast, with farm-to-retail examples like Field & Florist in Chicago and Floriography in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I know there are others, and I hope to continue to capture those stories. So get in touch and let me know what you've been doing. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. I'm so excited today to introduce you to my guest, Barbara Richa. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Deborah. And we're here in your retail shop in Boston in Prudential Center called Field and Vase, which I love the name. Thank you. And uh, I was in Boston, came here this uh, in early November to attend the Farmer Florist uh, Connection event. And I, you've been on my radar, and I asked you if I could come meet you, and you said yes. So thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you. Well, I want to introduce you to the listeners because you're kind of in the vortex of all these new things that are happening uh, for many people in the Slow Flowers community, including rebranding, balancing farming and, and design, and now migrating into retail. So where do we start? Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you became a flower farmer first, and then we'll follow the journey. Does that sound good? That sounds great. Great. So, <laughs> so how did you become so a how farmer? How did we become? <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. We were, um, we've been in Stowe, Massachusetts for, since 1994, um, and we were looking for something kind of new. My husband was in high tech, a lot of startups, a lot of travel, 
And what um, is his name? His name is David. Okay. And so we um, were looking for something to do. Um, my husband saw the ad in the paper that they were selling Stowe greenhouses. Wow. And we, that's how it happened. Kind of, wow. we bought the farm. And where is Stowe in relation to Boston? So Stowe is 30 miles west of Boston. Okay. Yeah. Um, Stowe's known for its apple orchards and its golf courses. It's so a beautiful, you know, town. Is it considered semi-rural or yes, maybe rural. used to be? Yeah. Yeah. I would say rural. We have very little industry. Okay. So very rural. Wow. And what were you, he was, he wasn't doing tech in, in Stowe. That's just happened to be where you live. That's right? happened to be where we lived. Yes. So tell me about Stowe Greenhouse. Was it like an, a venerable old grower in the town or? So Stowe Greenhouse. Houses was founded by a couple who were um, horticultural graduates from Cornell, mm. and they started the um, business, the farm, in the mid-80s, and they um, were wholesalers. Okay. So they grew for wholesale. Cut, and cut flowers? Cut for- flowers only. Really? Yep. yep. Huh. Cut flowers for wholesale. And this was before the 1992 Ante and Trade Act. Right. So it was a good market for cut flowers. And they grew, um, I think they started with mums, but by the time we bought it, they were specializing in hybrid lilies. And you said what year What year was that? The uh, mid, mid-1980s. But when did you oh, buy it? Oh, we bought it in 2010. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Wow. And so lilies, of course, are a great greenhouse crop. Correct. What's the greenhouse situation? Like how much square footage do you have? So we have 36,000 square feet. It's about an acre in size. Um, it was existing when wow. we were there. Yeah, it's quite large. It's highly automated. Um, so we grow on a table system. We don't grow in the dirt. Um, the curtain that we use is automated. The the, sure. uh, the windows open and shut. The fans come on. It's all computerized. Wow. In the wintertime, there's only five of us wow. that run the whole thing. Wow. So yes. you have some... It's it's not an old-timey glass house. This has got technology and infrastructure and all of that. Correct. It has infrastructure. It is wow. glass, but yeah. it is. Yeah. And we heat with um, biomass boilers, oh which goodness. is the only reason that we can survive cost-wise in New England, because wow. oils would be cost-prohibitive. So what is biomass? Do you purchase So wood it? chips. Okay. Um, so we try oh. not to purchase them. Um, all summer, we collect from Arborist, from you know, the mm-hmm. uh, local electrical companies. Mm-hmm. When we first started, I was like a, a wood chip chaser, like an ambulance chaser. Yeah. I would stop anybody that was chipping on the side of the road and say, where are you taking those? Because they have to pay to drop them right. off. Right. And we don't they don't have to pay to drop them off for us and we stockpile i I learned about this from lynn bush roses in minnesota they do the same thing yes they're probably the only other nursery or grower that i've heard of who's using well because you're in what zone five B. yeah you have to if you want a year-round crop you You have to have a heated greenhouse you have to have a heated greenhouse so when you bought you and your husband bought this place in 2010 did you have a gardening or growing Background? I know you're Dutch. Can you see so. me smiling? <laughs> smiling. You, said you, you said your last name was Dutch, so maybe it's latent back generations. Or we had no formal training. Okay, it was um, you know. If you did the analysis, we shouldn't have bought the place. Okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. we just was sort of a. Um, I, it wasn't really a whim, but um, it was definitely a. a you know, a big turn. Um, but somehow we had, it felt right, right? It, it felt right. And we had gardening experience in our yard mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that, but we had no um, no formal training. At the people that we purchased it from were retiring. They transitioned with us for three months. Okay. Um, and taught us a lot. Gave you a crash course. They gave us a crash course. Wow. Of course, the day they left, everything <laughs> fell apart, but no, not really. But you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, so we probably, um, at that point, my husband and I were both working at the greenhouse. Oh, my goodness. And um, 
we probably did for about 18 months before he went back to okay. high tech. Okay, I see. Um, so we had to fix a lot of infrastructure. Um, and, you know, after that 18 months, we realized we couldn't just grow wholesale flowers. Okay, so at that, in that first 18 months, um, is that when you diversified from just lilies and started adding different crops, or did that happen later? That, uh, the first 18 months, we, we were primarily just lilies. Okay. We started to do some fields outside, mm-hmm. failing miserably, as you often do when you first start, um, but sort of recognizing that we needed to diversify a little bit. And you had... You had- we had farmers markets. That's the yeah. only other places that we sold our flowers besides wholesale was okay. farmers markets. So you kept some of those wholesale clients that yes, that we came did. with the acquisition. Yes, we did. Wow. And but but there was land that you knew you could grow field crops. We're on in. fourteen acres. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So um, at the time that that transition, when Dave went back to an off farm job. It, did that kind of trigger some changes for the business, or has this been gradual over the last seven years? So it it tr- it triggered in the sense that the year that he went back to work, I um, the Boston Public Market was accepting applications um, for vendors, and um, we thought, well, we need to have a you know we we want to do more retail, and so we applied to that. Um, and we're accepted. Okay. There, the, and this is like an indoor, a long time. It's been thirty favorite, years yeah. in the market, but it just opened two years ago. Oh, okay. um, it took a long time to come to fruition. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's about forty farmers. Everything is grown or produced in New England. Oh my goodness! There are very few flower farmers that grow year round because of the, the heating, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, they, we were accepted. They yeah. wanted you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting it confused with. Um, like Faneuil Hall, that's a Faneuil or Haymarket is also in that area, okay. which is different. Yeah. But they're not; they're, they have restaurants and Faneuil Hall is definitely more touristy. touristy yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Boston Public Market um, became your essentially your store, our first shop. Wow! Yep. And then you are also doing several farmers markets, or yeah, we. So when we first started, again, this is crazy for people that grow, we'll say we had 19 <laughs> because that's what? what, yes, exactly. That's what the people before us who had just started farmers signed up for everything they could. 19 farmers markets? It was crazy. Oh, yeah. Honey. So we have creeped dropping. We're down to six now. Okay. Is yeah. that, does that seem to be right? It seems about manageable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And that is, what is your season for farmer's markets? You said They you're start about, in May. Okay. And they run through Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. And so you're pulled in so many directions then. You've you're got all this responsibility for growing, but then you have to be out there marketing. Do you have crew that work for you? I do. do I have a fabulous farm manager um, who started with me about three years ago. Um, and that's when we really started diversifying outside. Because mm-hmm. um, you were finally able to do all that. Finally able. Yeah, so I, yeah, so about when Dave left and went off um, off farm, the, we were given the opportunity through the Boston Public Market to do a mini um, MBA kind of class, if oh, you will. Nice. I have an MBA, actually, oh. from Northeastern. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but I was like, you know what? The end product was to come out with a three-year business plan. I was like, when am I going to do that? So I did it with right. other vendors that were going into wow. the market and and came out with a plan, and the plan said you cannot be successful wholesale. That's what I learned in this 12-week class. And then, so that was the impetus wow. to switch. And tell me why that is. I know Boston's... Um 
has a wholesale flower. Is it a single unit, single yep. business? Yeah, they just district? moved to Chelsea. Okay. Yep, um, it's a big warehouse, and there's probably six or eight wholesalers in there. And you, you had been in there with Stowe Greenhouse. We we would sell to people Got selling, it. Got but it. they, but um, you never. And we had it. some florist in there that we sold to some designers. We sell mm-hmm. directly to, and we still do. Um, but we just could not make. We could not compete on price uh, um, with South American flowers. Wow. Yeah. That was what so. your, your intensive sort of farming MBA taught you. Yes. Wow. Were, yeah. you, were you disappointed? Or did you kind of... I sort of knew it. Okay. I knew it. You're but it, But it, just to see it black and white on paper, I was like, okay, now, like now I have to do it because now I can see it, you know, right. if I will. So and we just... So you it. created multiple channels of more value-added opportunities Correct. than wholesale. Yeah. Was wholesale because you said you couldn't compete with with the pricing with yeah. the imported price imports yeah. mainly? Yeah. Was it just that you, at the time, were stuck on this price competition and the value, like the the seasonal or local, didn't have any kind of uh, didn't enough, have enough enough leverage to get a, a slightly better price? Correct. Huh? Because we already were charging a premium over sure. So, yeah, because sure. of, because they. Our flowers are better than imports, right? They're yeah. look, they last three weeks as opposed they to... They haven't been yeah, shipped. They're they not haven't bruised. been shipped. They yeah. don't, we don't use chemicals, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. um, so we couldn't, yeah. we couldn't do that. So, so tell me, uh, okay, you made that decision. You had a business plan, and that was a couple years ago, right? Yeah. And what were the major things you did then to kind of shift and, and refocus the business? So once I did that and knew that I got into um, the public market, I went out to Seattle and I took um, Aaron's uh-huh. Florette's um, flower farming. Um, a couple years the ago. Three, yeah, yeah. Um, it would be three years ago, yeah. And it was great. I mean, not only is she very encouraging, but just I think the biggest thing that I came away was landscape fabric and drip tape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just some real practical just things. Just real practical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back that summer, we did drip tape and plastic on every all of our fields. Huge difference because we couldn't keep up with the weeds. You know what I mean? We're right. small. We have right. a tractor and things like that. Right. But, but, but the labor of weeding and watering, you were able to kind of dispense with. Correct. Uh, uh, to some degree. To some degree. Yeah. yeah. And so that that was um, allowed you to grow more more than indoors. What were you growing outdoors? So what are you growing So outdoors? now we grow, you know, we grow the favorites, zinnias and sunflowers, um, campanula. We, you know, we grow Celosia. all of the celosia, yeah. marigolds, yeah. gumfrina, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we grow gladiolias, my grandmother's favorite flower. Oh, we grow a lot that. of dahlias. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working on our perennial garden, so we have peonies and chrysanthemums and, you know, veronica, all the sort of normal things. So herbaceous per, uh, perennials, not like uh, woody ornamental shrubs? or do you We do, do some too? woodies, too. Uh-huh. We've started. We have a lot of winterberry put mm, in. We have a perfect. lot of lilacs. We've put in um, hydrangeas, smoke still, bush, yeah. uh, nine bark. You, you know, we're just... You could sell every stem, probably. We sell every stem. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So when we opened here... So I've been reaching out to other farms seasonally, and, and if they have extra, we were happy to buy it. Okay. So Boston Public Market uh, was your main retail, quote-unquote, retail besides Farmer's Market. Correct. Now you have rebranded, and I'm so fascinated. I love the name, <laughs> Field and Base. I know you were saying before we turned on the recorder that Stowe Greenhouse is... Still, kind of operates as the farm per Correct. se. Yeah, but you 
you added this new new brand and it, pretty recently, right? Correct. I love it. So what what stimulated that? Because you weren't doing field and vase at at Boston Public Market. Correct. Right? Okay. And I've done somewhat of a poor job of oh, transitioning no. because I'm still still greenhouse sign there. We'll help um, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get the word out. Yeah. But we rebranded. We've redone the website. So now it's all field and vase. Yes. All of our our product packaging and branding is at Vilton Bay. So it's beautiful. I, I took some photos upstairs and I love the big ampersand. I think it's really evocative. Yes. And um, we'll share those in our show notes and maybe okay. you can send me share some, some photos, more photos yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, the what stimulated the field and vase. So when we, so we were at the Boston Public Market, and you know it had been about a year um, there, and we were approached by the Prudential Center, um, who were looking for a florist to see if we had any interest. And then, just describe the Prudential Center. It's like a giant hip mall in downtown it's Boston, It's a giant right? hip mall. It's it's like its own microcosm. There's a lot of um, uh, office buildings here. There's apartment buildings here. There's, um, there's hotels. There's hotels. Yeah. There's a Heinz Convention Center. You don't have to go outside. You can go to the grocery store everywhere, the church, really? everything I think but a school is in, in this little. It's kind of odd. It's but like it's, a big... Multi-city block compact Correct. complex. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's been here for a while. Um, and it, and they a few years ago have started to modernize it a little bit, redo it, bring in a lot more kind of modern progressive progressive retailers. retailers. Yeah. yeah. So we were thrilled to be asked. But we also were like, hmm, I don't think, you know, it's downtown scary. Boston, right, can we afford it? Right. It's scary. It's big. Right. The um, rents were a lot different than the Boston Public correct, Market. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and it took us a year to open, but here we are. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you have, I'm really interested in how you have this set up. So you have this sort of, we're in the shop that is more of your design studio that's not heavily foot trafficked, at least on a Saturday. Correct. Um, but you're kiosk area in the main hub you know hustle shopping bustle, area yeah, yes is um is really a charming retail space that's very busy right and Correct. it's kind of open air or yes yeah so it's permanent okay um oh and i see it's not just a temporary it's seasonal. not a pop-up okay. or anything like that yeah we get asked that quite a bit but um yeah so when they wanted us to do both they uh, you know they wanted us to have a retail space up in the in the mall area but they also wanted us to be in the shop uh, to have a shop, um, More which like works a out conventional structure for a Correct. setup with a cooler and all. Yes, yeah. So it works out great because we we sell grab and go more up at the kiosk and downstairs. Um, we can do any kind of custom design. We do a lot of events out of here. We do a lot of weddings and so you're producing corporate functions and things like you're that. You're producing out of here. We're producing out wow. of here. Yes, and then like you said, we have a big walk-in cooler, which makes it nice. Um, and then you just opened this, right, within the last yes, couple months? Yes, mid-September. So it's not been too long, and here come the holidays. <laughs> you probably wanted to, wanted to get in well before Thanksgiving then, right? I wanted to be open, like, last March during our slow season. We sort of opened, like, the perfect storm. You yeah. know, it was um, high harvest time, high wedding season, you yeah. know, kids back from school, so high retail volume. This, this. When we opened ul- here. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. So. But. But here we are, and we it did happens. it. We did yeah. it, yeah. How many employees then did, did you need to add to make this all happen? I mean, has it been 
that been cumbersome, or are you um, trying to be lean and mean? Well, we are lean and mean, okay. you know, as most farms are. We still have the farmer mentality, even though we're now into retail. But um, So I have a, a, a floral designer slash shop manager okay. who runs... Um, both the places. Prudential the Center, Prudential Center. Okay. yes, um, and then we have some of my staff from Boston Public Market work there and here. Um, so we filled some sh- uh, shifts that way. Okay, but then we had to hire because we have quite a few hours to fill upstairs. So is the Boston Public Market uh, more like a farmers market like stall or is yeah. it okay? Yeah, and it but it's indoors, so it's that's indoor year around. round. Yeah, do you have a different product mix in that venue as a different customer? So. At the Boston Public Market, everything needs to be grown or produced in New England. Got it. So everything that we sell there is. We do not have that restriction here at the Prudential Center. So we have added a few products like roses because we always have asked. We get asked all the time at the Boston Public Market about roses, but we don't have them. But here we were able to partner with a family farm in Guatemala um, to bring in roses. So we, we don't have that restriction here. We try to... We, you know, we sell mostly only our own local farmers. Right. Um, if we need to source, we source as um, within the United States mm-hmm. um, t- because we believe in local. But it sounds like you're able to source from some fellow farms in Correct. the like, Boston area. Um, Grace Lamb on Five mm-hmm. Fork Farms. A lot of people know her. We brought in her dahlias because she has gorgeous dahlias. So, um, and she had extra. So we're happy to take any local farm because you know that's right. what we we want to be right. a venue for other people that don't have retail to be able to to sell their products as well. I love that. And you're incubating um, some makers. Uh, I saw you were showing me the yes. soap line and yep. some of these other, um, like the pottery. I, I don't pottery, know if that's local yeah, too. Yeah, some of this pottery is handmade. Yeah, so we um, love selling related hard goods mm-hmm. too. Um, we have a soap maker from Central Mass. We have a lavender uh, person out of Newton, Mass. So, and then... Um, one of the girls that actually works for me at the Boston Public Market is also a potter. Um, oh, wow. And so we sell her products as well. So, yeah, wow. so I'm always looking for new um, products to sell and bring in. So, Barbara, you said you're doing weddings. When did you actually start doing uh, weddings as a facet of your work? Because uh, let me just say, your design work is beautiful. And oh, thank you. I, I've been able to feature a couple of your photos oh, on right. <laughs> some of my articles for Johnny's. And um, it's just... It, it, how did that come about? You didn't start out thinking you'd be a floral designer, did you? No, no. Um, so I started, I didn't, not the first year that we bought the farm, but the second um, year someone approached me to do a wedding. I, I think That's this happen- happens. It happens, yeah. <laughs> and I knew them, and so I said yes. I was terrified. I watched hours of YouTube. I had no <laughs> formal training, you know. Um, easier than it looks, right? It, yeah. No, not as easy, not as, as, it easy yeah. as it looks. Just get them out of the garden and put them in the vase. I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> you know, I was t- praying it didn't fall apart. Her bouquet didn't fall apart as she walked down the aisle. Seriously. Um, and, you know, that went well. I did go back and do formal training. Mm-hmm. I went back to a, you know, a 12-week kind of certification process to learn um, kind of how to basics. make a, yeah, the basics. Yeah, the mechanics, mechanics are mechanics, no matter right. what your style is. So um, so I have gone back and done formal training. And then I have done things like florets mm-hmm. and taken other classes with other designers. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, And you've probably developed your own aesthetic, too. I have, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely um, the fresh from the garden kind of airy, natural, flowing um, design. And I attract brides like that. Um, right. 
So that's kind of what I was getting, going to yeah. lead into is um, your your branding is very much focused on local and locally grown, seasonally grown, and then also your sustainable practices. So people have probably seen you on Instagram or on your website before they contact you Correct. for a consultation, right? Yes, I would guess so. Uh, yeah. yeah. And how, how, how do you, how do you indoctrinate? What's our process? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, a lot of people see us at the Boston public market. We get refer, referrals a lot now. Um, you know, we're already booking, we're already probably half booked for next year. Wow. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? Like how are you trying to set up a number of weddings? Well, or? I try to, I try to, <laughs> I try not to do more than one, two at the most in a weekend. Okay. Sometimes, you know, I do. And then there's a crisis and I have to help somebody, you know, or you make an exception. Yes. And like, why did I yeah. That and then my son, I have three sons. One, my son is like, how many this weekend, mom? You know, but, <laughs> but now I have help. So it's yeah. not, you know, it's, it's doable, wow. but, um, that's pretty good to be halfway booked for next year. Then you can it is. Yeah, it is. It's nice. It plan. is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can plant yeah. because that's the other side. So now I know what people are asking for. So I can, when I do my mix, you know, my seed ordering, I get the right color combinations. Right. right. Yeah. Depending on which part of summer or fall or spring Correct. there is. Yeah. Do uh, that. Is that why the peonies are uh, important then is for spring weddings or is that more Mother's Day? Um, we do a lot of spring. No, we miss Mother's Day in New England. Okay. Our peonies don't come into early June. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they're more wedding. They're more wedding. Mm-hmm. Or we can just sell every stem of peony that right. we can cut. People just love peonies. I know. And yeah. then when you mentioned lilac, I had that vision, too, of just that moment in time where everybody wants lilacs. They're you know yes. intoxicated, but it's a three- or four-week window. And right. At, the, at most. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, so. so your story is... Um, is very much a family business. Even on your website, on your About page, you introduce yourself and you introduce Dave, and I think your kids are on there too, aren't they? They are pictures yeah. of them. I don't. Yeah. How do they? Yeah. How do they involve? How do you involve them in the business? They're a little bit older, or like um, so. I have a um, a twenty one year old who's not doesn't live at home. He's mm. at school up in uh, Vermont. Um, my other two are still in high school, senior and junior in high school, and they work on the farm, and their <laughs> friends work on the farm. So mostly during the summer. Yeah. But um, you know, so built-in labor. Yes. <laughs> That's so right. it's good. Yeah. So, so maybe they'll come back and relieve you at some point in your future. Uh, yeah, we, we haven't quite got that because far yet. Because it does yet. sound like it's very much a family yes. endeavor. Yeah. And when I was admiring your shop upstairs, you said your husband built up, you know, the whole Very handy whole man. Setup. Yeah. yeah. And then your cooler. And, and then the cooler, uh, yes. Yeah. So that was one of your secrets to success. What do you think your other secrets? I mean, having the, the handy husband. The what, handy husband, yeah, yes. What are some it's of key your, to a farm. Yeah. What are some other things that you attribute? Um, I mean, not that I'm... I'm it's success has so many definitions to me i feel like you've got this um this matrix of of diversification that's working for you that took you several years to get to when you said wholesale is alone it's not going to work so you've you've worked hard to get to this new matrix and yes and yes do you think i mean it's not 100 percent proven yet but you feel like you're on your way I think, yes. I feel like we're on our way. It is not, like you said, it's not 100% proven because we just opened here. So yeah, but you're going to have a fabulous Christmas. Like we're hoping. <laughs> we're hoping, yeah. Um, y- yes, I feel like we're at the, we have built it, and now we just need to, you know, 
to to finish basically yeah. if you will you know the it would have been great if we opened and it was like instantly a huge success it was a success maybe not a huge so i still have some work to do right um, you have to still evaluate and sh- make they do yeah. yeah yeah and still pursue um corporate clients potentially or the hotels you know things like that so we still oh. You know, there's still work to be done. But you're so ideally situated for those things. We are ideally situated. Wow. And I think another that is another key to success. I, I work really hard. Probably, you know, probably need more work-life balance, mm-hmm. which is a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is for all farmers. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you were saying earlier before we turned on the recorder that you used to uh, crave having a lighter winter, but now you've got your own retail. So yes. that's going to be the the. the challenge yeah the test this winter yes um this space that we're in this downstairs space how, what, what's the size of it uh 720 square feet okay so you've yeah. got the way it's set up you've got retail in the front and then you have a little like a etagere that kind of divides this back space and we're at this wonderful work table it's kind of uh like very tall so you can stand at it is this where you meet with clients as well as uh do design work we do design. It's a multi-purpose room. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's um, we do work here. We meet with clients here, and we're um, beginning workshops here too. Now that we've been open a month, we have a few scheduled That's on our great. schedule. Yeah, we're That's super excited to do that. How many people do you think you can accommodate for a workshop? So uh, around this table, we could probably get eight to ten. Mm-hmm. If we had a larger workshop, we also have two tables in our in our shop oh. that we could Bring clear in. off and, and wow. do over there as well. Wow! So this is perfect for that kind of urban creative you know office worker or professional who may not get out to stow i mean had you Correct. been doing events at stow we do we have done some out there yes yeah and we do travel to people's mm-hmm. other locations mm-hmm. but yeah we're super excited to do here we're going to try some in the evening we're also going to try um on the first monday of every month a luncheon bunch How people fun. can just come down and make those little tussies that you saw yeah. um on their lunch hour Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I so. love it. Well, I'm so excited to get to meet you and see what you're doing. Yeah. And um, we'll share some photos of okay. what Great. Field and Base and Barbara and her crew are doing. And I, I just, I, it's interesting. I, I've been tracking this in, dive into retail that several farmers across the country are doing. And it seems to be kind of counter trend. And yet maybe it is a, a, brilliant way to diversify that others should consider that's why i think it telling hearing your story and um you know just getting it on people's radar to think if you have the right landlord and the right location and there's an opportunity that maybe uh the conventional sort of mom and pop brick and mortar main street florist wouldn't wouldn't take advantage of a place like this i mean this is more more entrepreneurial in a way yeah it, I guess it remains to be seen, yeah. but I think so. Yeah. That's what, yeah, we, we felt I'm that was true. Too. Yeah. yeah. You know, we just hear the numbers every year of flower shops closing. Yes. And yet I keep running into people like you who are like, okay, well, I'm going to do retail because it gets me a front door with consumers that will then drive my corporate and my wedding and my workshop business. And right. Maybe that's and it's an outlet for the flowers that we grow. We, right. right. We're our own customer as right. far as the flowers go. Right. So they're yep. more profitable flowers. Yes. Love and it. we want to be community based mm-hmm. and which is a little different than a traditional mom and pop florist shop right. as well. You're not a wire classes. service. We are not a wire yeah. service. Yeah. 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 Very and to cool. do classes and carry books and other things like that as cool. well. So that's great. Well 
here's to a wonderful holiday season. Thank you. <laughs> I know you're going to be selling a lot of paper whites. Yeah. Yes. We got a lot growing in the greenhouse right now. <laughs> and uh, lots of greeneries. So. Yes. Thanks, Barbara, so much. It was much. a pleasure meeting you. Really Thank fun you. meeting you, too. And I'm excited to share photos of what you're doing uh, with, with everyone who can go to the show notes for this episode at deborahprinzing.com and uh, find how to meet Barbara virtually and follow her on her all her social places too. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 260,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I've got an update on a technical glitch that some of you have reported to me, which involves the inability to download past episodes from our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. We've done some troubleshooting, well, not me, but Bob Medar of Metric Media, who's our webmaster, and the problem is fixed. iTunes only posts the most 10 recent episodes of the Slow Flowers podcast at any given time. If you listen to those and you're hungry for more, you can find the full archive at deborahprincing.com, and I mean the full archive of more than 225 episodes. And now there are new play and download buttons at the top of each episode um, in the show notes. And I hope this added convenience makes it easier for you, for you to listen, be inspired, be involved, and share our content. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of this podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. 
And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.